Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York, and today we'll be talking about the state of cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is down. We are in a so-called crypto winter. We will discuss what this is and what it means for consumers and brands, as well as the outlook for the future of this industry in a volatile environment. Now, we've recently done episodes on the metaverse and NFT, so this is really part three in that trilogy. And so I'd encourage anyone who's interested in this area to, to listen to those episodes. So joining me to discuss this topic today, I have, I think, the best guests possible. I'm delighted to welcome Emma Todd to the pod from Toronto in Canada. Emma has an incredible bio when it comes to cryptocurrency. She is CEO of MMH Technology Group, the chair of the Canadian Blockchain Consortium's Mining Committee, and a board member of the Canadian Blockchain Consortium. She has spoken at Parliament in Canada. She's spoken at the United Nations and shared the stage with heads of state, UN ambassadors, Al Gore, Ed Snowden, members of the US Congress and Senate, and more. And she was really recently speaking at Davos, which blew my mind. Uh, so Emma, we're honored. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so funny that you say you're honored. I've known you forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not only are we blessed with Emma's insights today, but I'm delighted to welcome Mintel's resident cryptocurrency and blockchain expert and director of marketing strategy, Biosa McDonald. Uh, Biosa recently wrote a fascinating post covering five misconceptions about crypto, which you can actually read right now on the Mintel blog. Welcome, Biosa. Thank you, Andrew. So excited to be here, um, and especially with you, Emma. I'm excited to this We have great conversations. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, so yeah, like you say, we've known each other for a while. Long before you were invited to speak at the UN and, and Davos, you're actually a Mintel client uh, working in banking in Toronto. Um, so perhaps, you, I mean, you made a career change. Um, you made a pivot in your career at a time when, like, you know, cryptocurrency was in its uh, early days. It's a, I've, it's a fascinating journey. I mean, perhaps we could start, you know, could you take us back um, and perhaps tell us a bit about how you got into cr cryptocurrency and how you got to this point? Mm. Yeah, well, I was in banking. And Andrew, you know, I, I've been a banker my entire career since I got out of school. And it was interesting, but I was looking to make a move into fintechs. It just sounded so interesting when everybody was talking about that. And so my friend of mine had a party and I said to her, I'm looking to get into FIs. And she said, well, what about... Bitcoin, what about blockchain? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It sounds like a foreign language. And she said, you know, you should come to this um, uh, conference that I'm, that I'm um, sponsoring. And so I went to the conference and this was back in 2016. And I had all the top people that were in the cryptocurrency world. They were all speaking there. And I was just so enthralled by it. And also I noticed that sitting beside me, you had um, Ernst & Young, you had PwC, you had EY. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security was there. They had come from Washington, D.C., because you didn't have that many um, uh, conferences back then. Mm. And I thought, these people know something that bankers don't. And I was so enthralled by it. I thought, I need to do this. Something's going on so, here. Yeah. Something's going where on. Was this? So was, where, which was, this, was this in Toronto? This is in Toronto. This is in Toronto. This is April. No, I forget when. April, May, um, 2016. It was absolutely amazing. And I was just blown away by it and thought that I need to do this full time. 
and tell everybody about it. But of course, the majority of my friends were bankers and they all thought I was crazy and I do mean crazy. And so um, uh, they didn't really uh, pay attention to me. And back then, to put into perspective, um, Bitcoin was at $400. So um, nobody really knew anything, but Deloitte really, they, they knew they had a, um, a team that was working on it. They kept inviting me to come and talk to somebody about like on their team about um, Bitcoin and blockchain every month. I would just walk up to Deloitte because I didn't live that far away and talk to somebody there, like about five or six people once a month about blockchain and what it was doing and what was going on in the industry. And um, I thought someday, someday people will really get it. Um, but for the meantime, I'm really loving what I do and I'm enthralled every day and I'm meeting all these really smart people who are really making me think. So they all thought I was crazy in 2016. And then in 2017, when Bitcoin went to um, 20, 2017, 2018, um, when Bitcoin started going up and it went to almost $20,000, suddenly I was a visionary. <laughs> Right, right. So I was a visionary. It was 2018, actually. So it sounds like you're starting out almost as an educator, explaining to people what yeah. what it is and, and what the opportunity is. Yeah. So what happened was I um, I was basically doing something I um, I don't really recommend, but building the car while driving it. So I didn't know very much about Bitcoin and blockchain, but um, I was really good at strategy. I was really good at marketing, and so. Um, people would hire me to help them do the strategy for their company and um, do the marketing for their company. And you need to know about the products. So mm. I was spending all my time just diving in. I was reading Twitter um, several hours a day. And you know, that's kind of like drinking from like Niagara Falls. It's, it's brutal, all this information coming at you. But it was really knowledgeable. And I got to meet a lot of people in the space that I wouldn't be able to um, get as close to today. Mm. because back then they weren't famous they were just people just like you and me just really trying to you know find out more like um they believed in what they were doing and so they really wanted to spread the word and so i was able to say to them you said this but i'm, I'm not sure if i understand can we talk about this later and they'd be like yeah sure just whatsapp me here's my number that's not happening today <laughs> at all right but um, so I was able to build up a really good Rolodex and they all became really good friends and that made things a little bit easier for me then. I don't think I can do that today. Was there, was there one key moment where you thought, how, you know, you, you mentioned how, you know, you sort of evolved into the sort of visionary sort of predicting, mm -hmm. predicting this uh, future industry. Was there sort of one key moment? I know that at one point, you know, you ended up speaking at the United Nations, like mm -hmm. was there sort of one key part that you can point to the where it was really you realized you thought hang on this is really taking off funny enough it was it was the united nations because um my family they they like they they supported me but they really didn't understand what i was doing and i know they thought i was crazy <laughs> <laughs> and then i was able to say listen we're having something at the united nations we're going to be talking about how blockchain can relate to sustainable development goals and everybody kind of went quiet and I said, if you, want, if you want to come and hear me talk, or if you want to come to the United Nations, you know, let me know. And they said, yes, we want to come. <laughs> of course. And it was really nice to have my dad there. And um, my family flew in um, from Barbados. I had family, yeah, and from Toronto came. Um, and my family in New York, they also show, showed up. So it was really great for them to see 
that I, I was no longer crazy. I started. Oh, you know, sure, like, must have been a, so yeah, really so cool. must have been so proud of you. Are they all invested in Bitcoin now or no? Yeah, in fact, I love it when they tell me what's happening. <laughs> well, Emma, what do you think about this? Well, I'm like, you know, well, A by A B C. Uh, I don't know about that because I'm like, oh, you're telling me. <laughs> but it's really cute. I like that they're very invested in it, and yeah, um, I loved it when. People were like, oh, well, what about blockchain? And before I could answer, my dad turned around and gave me a really good explanation about what blockchain was. And I was like, okay. He's got it. He's got it. What is interesting that, so, you know, when, it does seem that p- the people who are into it are, you know, very passionate about it. I mean, mm-hmm. Biota, what, yeah. what was the spark for you that got you interested? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's funny. I was reflecting back on this. I actually lost a bet with my husband um, that involved him as a victor being able to invest um, some of our money into crypto. And this was in early 2018. Um, so I figured that if I had staked in the game, it would make sense to learn a little bit more about it. Um, and the more I learned, the more I realized what a game changing technology that the blockchain is with huge implications across all industries and impacting people from all walks of life. Um, so that was just really exciting was my first foray. And um, Emma, to your point about getting your family to invest, I know one of my, I think, big accomplishments from last year was getting my mother to invest. Um, anyone who has immigrant parents, I think, understand there's a level of um risk averseness when it comes to investing. And so um, for me, that's, I think that's a sign that crypto is here to stay is the fact that my mom is invested in crypto now. Um, but I think it's, it's funny thinking about um, crypto in terms of um, Mintel as well is that um, I was following crypto for fun um, up until last year. And then I joined Mintel about eight months ago um, and was hired to focus on financial services and insurance. But I really realized there was a huge opportunity for what we could offer our clients. Um, I think in my Mintel interview, I had made an offhand comment about being interested in crypto and it didn't really go anywhere. But um, actually, we were able to tackle crypto for the first time this year in a thought leader presentation um, at the start of this year. Um, I really want to tackle the metal metaverse next. Um, and I have a monthly crypto blog series as well. So uh, feel free to check that out. Um, but yeah, just really excited for the crypto content that's to come and the ways that we can help our clients understand this space and how to take advantage of the opportunity. I'll admit that I am a, a no-coiner, a no so someone who doesn't own uh, crypto, and I'm still quite skeptical. But we'll get into we'll get into that's that a little fine. bit more. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's let's set the stage. So you know, uh, anyone sort of you know paying attention to the news right now will hear this term "crypto winter," and that's mm. something that we're reading about. So, 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 what is the crypto winter, um, and you know, what is this? What is the general state of uh, cryptocurrency? So crypto winter um, occurs when the price of crypto, and it's primarily driven by Bitcoin. If Bitcoin um, catches a cold, everybody else does too. Um, and so when it when it when it loses value, a significant amount of value, um, then people say it's in crypto winter. And the first time I heard that term was actually August twenty eighteen. <laughs> and they said, and it started to go down, um, and. I was talking to um, a client and he said, yeah, yeah, everyone's, everyone's calling this crypto winter. And I was like, it's August, it's sunny, 
Oh, <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, sure enough. Yep, that was Crypto Winter. <laughs> it just and it lasted honestly until um, May, no March twenty twenty, right, right around then. So the correlation between that is and it, it dropped. It um, actually Crypto Winter technically started um, January twenty eighteen. If you want to be very very ac- accurate, because. Bitcoin went up to almost 20,000 in December and it started to go down, but it went down gradually, gradually. Mm. So people didn't really realize until August and you're like, oh, this thing is not going back up. So whereas right now we have a solid drop, a steep, like off a cliff drop, um, back then it was a little bit more gradual. It was a lot, it was pretty bad. It went from um, roughly 20,000 down to 3,600. Mm. So that was pretty low. So that's when I that's when I'm like, you know, guys, like, um, and I learned from that one. So this one, I'm a little bit more laissez faire because I've I've been preparing for it because I knew it was going to go back down. It it just wasn't just based on the history. Mm. I knew it was going to go back. You hope that it doesn't, but you know it is going to. But this one's a lot different, and I think it's driven by market um, conditions. So, for example. You know, we have inflation, we have um, a recession coming. Uh, There's a lot more institutional money in crypto. And so that sort of drives drives it right now. And it's a lot of institutional money, a lot of institutional money. So before it was more um, just, you know, uh, people, random people speculating and buying what what they wanted to. And so back then it acted differently. Now it's a whole different ballgame. Whole different market. It's interesting because if in a obviously with a bear market that we're in right now, it's when it's sort of gets called a bear market when it's down twenty percent. Is it sort of is this sort of a definition or is it just it kind of just generally gets termed a crypto winter when it just starts declining for a long period of time? Yeah, there is no definition, but yeah, when it starts um, declining significantly, that's when they call it a crypto winter. So I think we're down seventy three percent right now. Is that right or? It was fifty three percent before, but yeah, I'm, I'm not quite uh, sure the number. Yeah. But it's 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 down. So to put in perspective, it was at sixty thousand, and now it's down to I think twenty. <laughs> yeah, but it is what it is. Yeah, like I mean, I always tell people to be before you invest, make sure you understand what it is that you're doing. Make sure you um, the money that you invest is the money that you ha- that you're okay with losing. The money that if, if someone set it in, uh, on fire in front of you, you're like, what are you doing? That's unfortunate. But it's unfortunate, but you're not screaming because you haven't lot, um, you can still pay the mortgage. You can still pay your, um, your car loan, things like that. Right. Mm. So I really tell people that before you invest in anything that is this volatile, this risky, do your homework and make sure you know what you're doing. Mm. So, Amber, so you were, you were recently at the um, World Economic forum in, in davos switzerland uh, and i've where cryptocurrency was i believe was a key topic of discussion obviously this is an a- annual event attended by business and world leaders uh, it's obviously mm. renowned what was it like being there <laughs> <laughs> um i think i'm a little um I've, I've been there before so for me this time oh, I see. My, my first time there i was just like oh my gosh right like i was um just wide-eyed and just you know just surprised at everything that was going on around me um it's very well run um it's 
well, the first time I went, it was during the winter and it was cold. It was really, really cold. But um, As opposed to uh, the crypto, not the crypto winter, the actual winter. winter. Like, yeah, it was, it was in January in Switzerland and it's, a, it's actually a little ski town that normally holds 3,000, but then during the middle of Davos, it holds 30,000 people. Um, and the conversation was just mind-blowing. It was really astounding. They These people were all there because they wanted to make the world a better place they weren't necessarily driven by money they were driven by the the need to do something good for another human being and that really just galvanized me it made me think okay emma you can do you can do good for um the economy you can do good for other people and because i'm not gonna kid you i'm gonna be honest here i came from banking I like people, but you know, I had a bit of a money slant to things. <laughs> but um, but when I did um, when I did Davos, I really started to think, you know, I can do my part to make things um, better for people, and that's when he started seeing me do a little bit more things, um, like volunteering and doing things to, just to uh, try and make an impact. So mm. um, I I chaired uh, Girls in Tech. I um, was the chair for uh, Blockchain for Impact that worked with the United Nations. I um, uh, chair for the Mining Committee and the FinTech Committee for the Canadian Blockchain Consortium, which is the largest uh, nonprofit uh, here in Canada, just because I think that one of the challenges that blockchain has is that people don't understand it. So we try to get the word out there so we can, and we have courses and things like that and sort of explain things to people and we really kind of go out there and we try to advocate for, uh, for the space. But it all started at Babos. It really made me think I can, I, can, I can do better. And everybody's so incredibly smart. Oh my gosh, jaw-dropping. And the, the, the crazy part is they're just walking around like you and me. They're just walking and you're like on the street and like, oh, look. There was the security thing. hiding uh, in the right? in the side streets, right. or yeah, I mean, there's security there, um, but for the most part, they're all just walking on the streets, just like you and me. I'm not kidding; it's it's quite it's quite shocking. Uh, fascinating, it's fascinating. So, so obviously, you were there. The, the discussion was around. There's a lot of discussion around uh, cryptocurrency. Like right now, there are currently nineteen thousand cryptocurrencies in, in existence. I, I, many of the executives at Davos reportedly see that as unsustainable, and it, um, yeah. some some believe that the crypto winter is a good thing, as it will remove. And I'm quoting from a CNBC article: "It will remove bad actors." Uh, what's your take? I bet you that CNBC article was written by Mackenzie. Um, I know her. Um, she's not wrong, or they're not wrong. Um, so whenever there's something bad, sometimes something something good can come out of it. And this mm. one with Crypto Winter, it is accurate. It removes some of the bad actors, people that are just driven by money, that are driven by greed, people that are there to sort of uh, con and do things that are harmful to the space. That is what hopefully Crypto Winter will drive out because there are people there that um, they don't have as much money anymore. It's people aren't flocking to it. So what happens is, and it sounds bad, but it's true. Every few years when crypto winter comes, it's like a cleansing. It gets rid mm. of all the bad actors. And so that's one good thing that comes out of this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's the crypto winter. There's obviously a lot of negative 
news around cryptocurrency right now uh mm. hitting the headlines i'm i'm just going to just hit i i'm just going to read off three that i've you know they've been really sort of dominating headlines recently uh the terra usd luna the algorithmic stablecoin crashed proving that not all stable coins are stable um crypto lender celsius froze withdrawals damaging the reputation of the industry um the bankruptcy filing of the hedge fund three arrows capital one of the biggest uh, crypto hedge funds with of course investments across the industry obviously these are all events that sort of damage the rep- reputation of the industry you know wh- which of these events would you say is the most significant in terms of its impact in in your view and, and why funnily enough um celsius is bad but the more i think about it tell is actually worse because a lot of people invested in Terra, a lot of companies invested in Terra. And when Terra filed for bankruptcy, those companies, they were heavily, heavily invested in Terra. And what's happening is they're, they're unable to suddenly pay their, uh, pay their loans. So that's actually what happened with, three, um, with 3AC. Um, they're not able, as a result of Terra. And a lot of companies are unable to, um, pay their loans because they had a lot of money invested in Terra. So one company that was able actually to sustain um, the challenges that they faced when Terra went bankrupt is Galaxy. Galaxy, through Mike Novogratz, had $400 million invested in Terra Luna. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. But because they had like significant assets, they were able to withstand that. Not everybody else was. And so that's a problem with um, a lot of these companies. And it's that's the difference between crypto winter then and crypto winter now. What we're seeing is that because of what happened with Terra Luna, a lot of companies, they're either barely making their payments or they're not able to make their payments at all. And then what happens is after they start to default, then companies start to um, you know, uh, require payment from them. And then that's what we're seeing where, they, where they're going bankrupt. So I, still, I think that as month over month happens and there are going to be more companies that declare bankruptcy, when you trace it back to what started it, it's going to be Terra. But Terra started, and people, Terra was like death by a thousand cuts, but quite frankly, um, uh, they were shorted. Yeah, I would agree that um, for sure that I think Luna was the first domino that fell that really kicked off a lot of the other turmoil that we're seeing in the crypto Mm -hmm. world right now. Um, But just because Emma, you took um, Luna, I think I'll tackle Celsius um, because I think Celsius is a really interesting example, especially for brands. Um, Celsius, I think of it as kind of a, a like what's happening with them as a Lehman Brothers moment for crypto. Um, so they really kind of position themselves as a crypto bank. Um, they're one of crypto's biggest lenders. Um, they made depositing with them really appealing through high yields um, up to 18%. Um, so yields are kind of like the interest rate that you would get for depositing money with a traditional bank. Um, 
But I think with Celsius, um, they're not decentralized finance. They're not DeFi. It's what the crypto world calls CeFi, centralized finance. Um, namely, there's still a central entity in control of your money who, as a customer, you're trusting to do right by you. So CeFi is really easy to distinguish because um, they need to abide by know your customer laws. They'll check your ID when you sign up, things like that. Um, and by nature, they're just very centralized and they can do things like freeze withdrawals which is what Celsius did. And I think part of the lesson for brands here is that Celsius really engaged with a lot of rather deceptive and misleading marketing. Um, if you read their white paper on their website, they talk about how banking is broken and then they position themselves as a crypto bank, um, making it sound like your money is safe, that you're going to earn this high yield, um, that there's little to no risk, that you're going to lose your money or be able to withdraw it. Um, and they really built off of that trust that comes with the term bank. Um, they also talked about themselves as, um, or they use the term the 99%, not the 1%, um, almost as if they're taking money from legacy institutions like hedge funds and um, kind of helping out the retail consumer. So they really commandeered a lot of these DeFi terms that the crypto world um, and, and uh, an audience that really favors decentralization um, really uh, engages well with. And so they built off of some of that marketing language and that messaging. And um, I think that they're really a lesson um, for the consumer that there's really due diligence that needs to happen um, just because a company says that, you know, that they are X, Y, Z, that does not necessarily mean that um, you can trust that um, there's you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can trust all of those assumptions. Um, and I think for brands, it's just really important to um educate and be very upfront with what you are offering. And it's a way that brands can differentiate themselves if you do offer a crypto product um, to be more specific and um, kind of establish that loyalty with your customers. Um, and with Celsius right now, I think um, what's interesting is FTX actually reported considering buying them out and then chose not to move forward after taking a look at their financials. So um, really, I think there, there was a lot of over leveraging, um, taking on a lot more risk than they really should have, um, borrowing money and, and um, investing it and really not taking into account that crypto works in cycles and that there are inevitable market downturns and people in crypto should know that and should prepare for that. And Celsius didn't do that. And I think it's unfortunate, um, all of the, especially retail investors who've been impacted. So a couple of things I want to throw in there. One of the things I'm interested to see is what the SEC says, because the SEC came out with a mandate in June 2018, um, because I, um, as you know, did some marketing. Uh, they advised people that if there was going to be deceptive marketing, they were going to charge them um, like the CMO. Um, and so, so um, I'm curious to actually see what their actual marketing was because the SEC, they've been pretty, uh, 
pretty vigilant when it comes to crypto. I mean, obviously you can't get to everything, but SAS is kind of up there in the news, right? They're kind of, they've been doing stuff for some time. So one would have thought that they would have gone after Celsius instead of some of, some of these other more innocuous um, cryptocurrencies. So I'm kind of interested to hear what their take is, because no doubt they're going to be doing some investigation now, or they probably already have started. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. And the fact that they declared bankruptcy yesterday, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because they're paying off. They had paid off the loan, but we know that or we surmise that they had paid the loan off with customers' deposits, right? So I'm sure, Biota, you've heard that term. And it's a new one for you, Andrew. If you do decide to invest in cryptocurrency, not your keys, not your, like, you know, not your funds. So what they're basically saying is when you um, invest in cryptocurrency, you get private keys is kind of like a wallet. If you give, if you tell people what those, um, what the numbers are, what your keys are, then it's not really your money, right? Because you're not managing it. You don't own it. Somebody else can manage it, right? Or you may own it, but somebody else can manage it. The rule of the game is to just don't do that. Never, ever do that. It's a little bit more risky. And yes, it's your own. Um, if you, if you lose those keys, you're in trouble. And we, we all have stories about that. Um, I have stuff in my phone that I, I'm still trying to find, <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, um, don't trust it with a third party. That's, that's the name of the game. Just don't do it. Yeah, you touch on some of the implications. What are the, the broader implications then of all of this sort of the crypto winter and all of this negativity? You know, how damaging is this? I mean, to just throw this out here, it's pretty damn. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I'm not going to kid you. Um, uh, we expect more and sometimes we don't get it. And, and so you need to be vigilant. And um, while the government is there to help you because you know, you're paying your taxes and that's their job, it's also dependent or incumbent upon you to do your own research to mm-hmm. make sure that um, it is, it's not a scam, that it's worth it. So while you get not all that nice, shiny, pretty marketing, flip and look at the terms and conditions. That's the most important thing or scroll down the terms and conditions read that all the pretty marketing is just like something to get your to catch your eye but the terms and conditions is what's going to lock you in right so read that and if it seems too good to be true like your parents are right if it seems to be good to be true it generally is <laughs> like that kind of that kind of yield is just crazy right um and so um always keep that in mind there's very 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 few things in life that is literally as good as it um as as it seems there's all often some sort of blood sweat and tears that goes in for some of the early people but it's generally not that easy and trust of course is such a key component of anything to do with money and um Mm -hmm. you know when you mentioned celsius uh and you talk about you know not being able to withdraw funds i mean yeah trust is evaporated um and obviously probably impossible to to regain Exactly. I think with retail investors who have never really experienced a bear market, and we had a lot of new folks um, join into crypto in this last bull market. And so I think it's a good lesson, um, a really tough and unfortunate lesson, I will say. Um, After the crash of Luna, for instance, there were reports of suicides and depression from investors who had really overinvested and lost everything, um, their life savings, and had been really drawn by the the high yield. I think um, 
uh, the Terra Labs had been offering um, 20% yield, um, which was really high for a stable coin. Typically, um, those yields are um, are standard to kind of um, attract investors early on um, for other types of crypto, but not for stable coins. And I think for for the lesson, unfortunately, with um, a lot of what's happened is that it's really caused a domino effect on especially crypto native institutions. There's been a lot of um, clear losers ranging from, you know, things that we've already discussed, filing bankruptcy, rescinding job offers, which you may have seen in um, in the news, reducing headcount. Um but then also a lot of clear winners. So um, crypto exchanges, FTX and Binance are two that are still very well capitalized. So FTX is really big in the US. Binance is bigger globally and um, much bigger in Europe than in the US. Um, but I think there, there's a good lesson to be learned from how those two companies have managed their funds um, and really prepared for the inevitable downturn in the cycle. So even during this crypto winter, they've been announcing partnerships and even sharing that they're still hiring, which is kind of in sharp contrast to some of the other companies that are suffering. So a couple of things. We have to be honest here. So the leaders of Binance, so CZ, Shankar Zen, and the leader of FTX, Sam Bangman Freak, they are exceptionally, exceptionally brilliant. They are not the average person. They are next level. Um, and they are brilliant at a very young age. In fact, actually, to be fair, Susie is in his 30s. But um, yes, you can follow them. Uh, see, um, FTX sort of appeared out of nowhere, um, but they're doing very well and they have a lot of money. That's the difference between them and a lot of other companies. They have an insane amount of money behind them um that being said i love what sbf said he's like listen we didn't go out there and hire like crazy during um the bull run we stuck with what we had and now we're able we're, we're, we're very nicely positioned um during the bear market which is really interesting because they went they in miami we got the ftx arena so if you can you know pay for sponsor for the ftx arena and still <laughs> have a lot of money after it's an insane amount of money they have. So it's the point where, and it's really kind of lovely that, that they were doing it as well as finance. When companies in, or companies are still doing it in the crypto sector that are not doing well, they're going to them and asking their advice and hoping to get a loan or some sort of uh, partnership with them. And that's what's happening. That's, that's what should happen when you're a leader in, in an industry. You do what you can. Andrew, this reminds me of 2007, 2008, when all the banks were going to, and the, and the feds were asking JP Morgan Chase for help and Bank of America because they were the two largest um, banks. And they're like, we need you to help these other banks that are going to fail if you don't help. And that's literally what we're seeing just in a different um, industry 15, 15 years later. Mm. A little bit more than 15, but yeah, literally just, that's what we're seeing. That's so a great connection, Emma. That's a great mm-hmm. connection. And it makes me also connect. There's 2000, 2008, but it makes me think about the sort of the dot-com bubble which burst and then, you know, you had the stronger companies coming through like Amazon. Mm-hmm. Which, is that a similar kind of parallel? This sounds bad. I was, I don't, I was a little too young for the dot, dot com bubble, but um, 
I do know that, you know, the, the ones that were strong then are stronger now. So like everyone talks about Amazon, right? Amazon mm. apparently went down during that time because they're busy just trying to build. And then they, um, and then they became the powerhouse that they are today. What I take out of that and what we all, all of us who are in this ecosystem who've been doing this for quite some time is if you can survive a bear market, you're very well positioned for the bull market. So mm. the bear market is really where you build. You build, you do all the things that people aren't necessarily um, equipped to do. And then in the bull market, you pay off all your debts and things like that, and you are sailing. But that's really the important thing that a lot of us are taking out of that. All right, so let, let's shift gears a little bit. Because I, I know, Emma, you mentioned that you were on the board of, is it is tokens, tokens.com? Is you, is yes. That, and and you, you sit on the board, uh, on a couple of boards. And I know that... You, you're one of only a few women of color who hold board level positions, which is amazing. Mm. So w- what has it been like being a, a woman of color in the crypto industry? To be, so for being a woman co- of color, for some people, they need to see someone who looks like them. Um, I, I come from Jamaica where I already see a lot of people who look like me. And um, so it wasn't that hard for me when I came to Canada sort of just kind of keep going. But for some people who haven't seen that, they sort of need it. So I'm happy to be that person that they see that kind of goes out and does things. But for me, I I think, and it's also a bit of a mindset, I think the road less traveled is the more interesting one. Mm. And how, that's how you can make your mark. So if you give me the choice between um, the road well-traveled and the road less traveled, I'm going to take less traveled every time. I'm going to learn something new and come back and I can edu- educate the masses. And um, I like to be a trailblazer. I don't, I don't necessarily like to follow the pack. It's a mindset. Um, and sometimes you need that because it is tough. I'm not going to give you like a, I'm fairly well known now, but in the, in the beginning they were like, Who, who's this lady? You know, what's she mm. doing here? Um, and um, I was very fortunate that because the Canadian um, ecosystem is so small. A lot of the guys knew me. And if you go anywhere in, to any conference in the world, there's always going to be a healthy number of Canadian can, Canadians there. Um, so they would be like, Emma, like you know, I talk about, I went to Bermuda and I knew nobody when I walked into this, um, this restaurant and uh, uh, four guys were like, Emma, you're here. And it wasn't my Canadian contingent. And so I know that wherever I go in the world, I'm going to find Canadians. It happened to me in Malta. I was in Malta. I went to Malta for like, it was the largest blockchain conference at the time in 2018. Yep, I was in Malta. There were three Canadians. Emma, I'm like, hey. <laughs> yeah, you always, we we, we love our friends up in Canada. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're ever, we are literally everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Emma, I really appreciate the ways you've been blazing a trail for the rest of us. And I think um, I really resonate, too, with the education part of it for me that I think as a woman of color myself trying to learn more about this space, I think I feel 
the same kind of similar burden to know um, even more than and kind of give myself that additional credibility. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think part of that comes from crypto really drawing on a lot of industries that do suffer from a lack of diversity, like tech, engineering, Mm -hmm. finance, um, retail Mm -hmm. investing also really skews male. So um, and we know that workplaces and industries only benefit from more diversity. So um, crypto is a really highly technical field um, can be really inaccessible for a beginner who's just interested. Um, It's also one of the reasons I'm involved in a group um, called Women of Color in Emerging Tech, um, where I volunteer to create educational presentations to help the group learn together. So um, being involved in crypto education with that group and at work has really challenged me to understand the technology better um, so that I can explain things from kind of layer zero. Um, And especially since I don't have a technical background, I'm in marketing as well. Um, I think that gives me unique perspective in how to simplify some of these really complex ideas and make this space more accessible and welcoming for people Mm -hmm. of all backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Right. I find when you're in marketing, you have to take these things people just throw at you and like, okay, how can I break it down to it being really easily, like more easily understood. And so, you know, I, I'm always listening to people and see how they, they phrase things, you know, mm. I'm like, Oh, that, that's a good way of phrasing things. Mm. Let, let me borrow that. Um, another thing that I do is what I found and this is a little bit weird, um, but I'll tell you guys anyway, like I, I try to listen to um, podcasts and um, of people who are inspiring and that um, safe, like um, have mannerisms that I think are really good and just so good a way of explaining things. And I try to like mimic that. So, funnily enough, you know who has a really good way of explaining things? Christine Lagarde. She doesn't like crypto, so I'm always fond of what she says, but she has a really good way of explaining things. <laughs> well, you know, I will say that you're both um, incredibly, you know, inspiring role models, and of course, you know, generations of you know women, you know, coming through. Someone has someone has to take, you know, for change to happen. You know, someone has to to take the lead, and um, mm-hmm. and you know. You're doing that, um, so both of you. So, which is um, incredibly inspiring. So, I, I think actually there's quite a good segue actually as we're talking about that because from a consumer perspective, um, it's predominantly men that own cryptocurrency. It's actually more predominantly uh, more likely to be millennial men. So, according to to Mintel data, 15% of Americans own cryptocurrency, but that number rises to nearly one in three among millennial men, and Furthermore, my understanding is that a very you know that most of the value of cryptocurrency is held by a small number of investors, and you know, we find that most Americans consider cryptocurrency to be too risky. So you know, thinking about you know the future of cryptocurrency, I mean, how bullish are you that more consumers, different types of consumers, will eventually embrace it? Um, you've both spoken sort of passionately about your families embracing it, but you know, uh, you know how how bullish are you about that? You know, that expansion, uh, and if so, um, you know, how will it happen? 
I'm very bullish on crypto. Um, I do believe that crypto is the future. Um, I think my critique of the traditional finance world is that it's slow and often reluctant to innovate. Um, but that also makes sense because you're dealing with a large amount of money and customers and regulation. Um, and so to some degree, that's understandable, but it does open up a lot of opportunity for disruptors like fintechs and now crypto to really challenge the space. So I feel really great about the opportunities that crypto can kind of bring to the world and the ways that traditional finance can be pushed to evolve. Um, I do think that one of the things that will help adoption is institutional involvement, which we did see a lot of in the last bull market. And part of that is also just with how nascent of an industry that crypto is a lot of um a lot of the interfaces are a bit clunky they require much more technical background or a lot of in-depth knowledge to really navigate and so the role that institutions and brands can play is really making this more widely accessible um, creating that really nice front end experience with maybe blockchain and DeFi on the back end. Um, and I really think that's where the space will go in the future um, as the cycle kind of comes around. I agree. Um, I think right now that, um, well, I'm, I'm always bullish on crypto. I just am. I think it's the way of the future. I will say, and I do believe this, that it's not for everybody and it's not for every, and that's fine. I don't necessarily expect my 85 year old grandfather, you know, to sort of adopt it. He's the kind of person that's going to prefer to go into the bank, you know, um, go into the bank and do that. And so I, I do believe that there is something out there for everyone. The challenge is, is that banks are watching these things sort of eat into their profits and they don't like that. And so they're fighting for their way of life. And I understand. Um, I think that um, the, Involving like the financial landscape is going to change. It's going to change um, uh, with a certainty that I would only convey on debt and taxes. It's going to change. The question is how long and, and what percentage is going to adopt versus stay. And even if it is not Bitcoin, it's going to be something else. If it's not mm. cryptocurrency in general, it's going to be something else. Why? Because there are some definite challenges that we have right now with banking. And um, I um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The reason that I got into um, crypto was because I was just absolutely horrified by the fees that they use when people are doing remittances, right? Mm. And so it used to be, I think, $80, and it still is to some extent in, in Canada. Um, they charge $80 for fees. And then when crypto started getting popular in the um, and the remittance market, which is a very big market, I think it's like $4 billion, if not a lot more, um, they now have it. Some banks have it where you know the um, the fees for remittances are um, they've waived them. But here's the catch: when um, uh, banks are accepting um, remittances, they still charge you. So for for bank transfer, you still get charged. Um, if you're not getting charged, then the recipient's getting charged in some way, shape, or form, right? Whereas you can simply do a, a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency transfer for, you know, less than two, two to $5, you know? So, um, and that's for a large, a large amount of money for, 
500,000, it was like $2.50 or something like that. Um, and a little bit more, I can't quite remember what it was. Um, well, let, let me not tell that one, but um, just for doing, yeah, doing million dollar transfers, they can incur maybe $10, depends on what you're doing. But like, it's really just, it's not that. It's definitely a heck of a lot cheaper than it is doing it through the banks, you know? And I think the transparency too with cross-border transactions is just such an upgrade. Um, when I've had to send money overseas to family, it feels like my money goes into a black box. It's left my bank account. It hasn't gone into their bank account. Where is mm -hmm. it? Nobody knows. We just trust that in a couple of days, hopefully it goes where they say it's going to go. Whereas with the blockchain, you can instantly see the transactions being processed. It takes minutes um, with some variations depending on what blockchain you're using. But um, I think that transparency feels like such a huge upgrade to be able to see what's going on and and have those lower fees. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. So we spoke, we've talked a lot about, um, uh, those are great points, and we've spoken today a lot about this in the context of the, the market volatility and the crypto winter. You know, one of the other sort of critiques about uh, cryptocurrency in general is, is the impact on the environment. I just wanted to sort of just touch on that, um, uh, particularly. And this is a question really uh, for you, for you, Emma. You know, what is you know what do you what do you say to those who just suggest that cryptocurrency is bad for the environment? Um, uh, is incorrect. Um, you do have aspects that are definitely not um, environmentally friendly, but overall, the majority of uh, cryptocurrency that's mined is 58% uh, renewable. Um, mm. So you have to ask yourself, who would benefit from coming out with a negative um, view of cryptocurrency and uh, say this? And, you know, lobbyists have paid a lot of money these days. And if you sort of look at who the top three lobbyists are, I'm pretty sure you're going to find that banks are up there. Oh, Just saying, yeah, I threw it out interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> so, yeah, I said it. But, um, you know, so we spend, a, I spend a fair amount of my time battling this and letting people know that it is actually not correct. You know, when you look at the type, um, I think Bitcoin uh, and also other cryptocurrencies, they're mining, it's 0.16 of the global economy, 0.16. Different perspective, um, video games is I think 0 0.20. So, like, <laughs> um, uh, you spend more um, energy on playing video games. You spend more energy mm. on Christmas lights, North American Christmas lights, not worldwide North American Christmas lights. Spend more energy, but no one's talking about that. Everyone's really focused on Bitcoin. And guess what? We're out there making, um, uh, trying to change financial landscape um, as well as um, uh, provide work for individuals and so we're really trying our best to do a good thing um, are we getting are, are we um, getting pushback definitely but this is what we signed up for and we'll definitely continue to do that but it really isn't um, what you've heard the narrative is incorrect I think you need to be careful where you're getting your news from. There's a lot of people who talk about the blockchain or talk about crypto and have a very specific perspective on crypto. So I always encourage people to 
get your news from a variety of sources. And so I think the the fact that mainstream media typically tends to harp on crime and environmental impact and volatility a lot is not the bigger picture of crypto and what's going on. Uh, okay, brilliant. Well, so, I mean, we've, we've talked about so the, the environment. A lot of this, is, you know, like you said, so the narrative is, is, is quite negative in general, specifically related to the volatility, related to the environment. Um, this is really the, the final question for you both um, as we sort of come to our, the end of our time together here. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, but I want to ask you both what you're most excited about when it comes to the future of cryptocurrency and this, the, the broader industry. Um, I am excited about a lot of things in crypto, but I think for me, especially working in and having a lot of financial services clients, I think for me, the DeFi, decentralized finance world is most exciting. Um, and, and just really the possibilities that it opens up and um, even globally that now people who traditionally have not had access to a sound financial system that they could trust in are now able to tap into crypto back loans. And um, if you own an NFT, you can get a loan um, using that as collateral as well. So I think there's a lot of possibilities for the way that that industry specifically is developing. Um, and if we look at more broadly um, what's happened with the crypto winner as well, a lot of the um, downturn has impacted the CFI centralized finance companies and DeFi has actually largely functioned as it's supposed to. So um, CFI companies are the ones that are, you know, filing for insolvency, having all these difficulties, while actually a lot of their investments made in DeFi were liquidated appropriately because it followed a protocol um, and and followed the, the smart contracts that are tied to some of these DeFi loans. Um, so I know Andrew may um, chime in here, so I'm going to front run that. Um, so smart contracts, I think of as um, agreement that are written in the blockchain that execute automatically. So kind of like um, how a vending machine will operate. So do you have a dollar to buy the candy bar? If yes, you get the candy bar. If not, then you don't. There's no lawyers, no balance sheet audits, no excuses if you're hungry. It's just whether or not you have the dollar. So smart contracts are a really amazing tool for finance because it allows for that sort of arbitration. Um, so DeFi is really uh, an area that I'm hoping to explore later in the future for mm. some additional content. So stay tuned for that. Very nicely said. I love that. Um, I am, the reason I got into crypto was really because I really wanted people to have, be able to keep more money in their pocket. And so I am looking forward to more people adopting it um, for the right reasons and it being able to help them. Um, we are in crypto winter right now, but you know, um, this is still a new industry. People need to remember that. Um, I, uh, I, I spoke at NFT NYC and I said, let's see, it's, uh, you know, Bitcoin's about 13, 14 years old, right? Um, I don't know anybody who at 13, 14 knew everything. And so we're currently, we're currently still learning. And so, you know, when you're 13, 14, you have um, a parent that tells you what you can and can't do. That would be the regulators. <laughs> like you can and can't do this, right? Whereas banking's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're the grandfather. 
they're like, we already know. We know we can do this. We know we can't do that. So people just need to think about things that way. We're still learning. We're doing the best that we possibly can. And um, I really do think that this is going to be the way of the future. Um, not, And I still think that there's room for other things, too. This isn't, this isn't going to be just the end-all, be-all. It's going to be a, co- a combination of different things. But I do think that there's room for the industry to grow. We're growing, we're learning, we're growing at an extremely fast pace. And um, I'm kind of excited for the future. Brilliant. And I love that optimism, Emma. I think that's one common thread among those in crypto is that there is such an optimism and excitement about the future Mm -hmm. of money and where it's going. Yeah, I wake up excited every single day. I'm not excited throughout the entire day, but um, (laughs) I wake up like I wake up and I'm just like I'm thrilled for what's going to happen in the industry. It's it's a really nice feeling like it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, this has been a really a brilliant conversation. I, you know, there's been so much that you know, so many takeaways. So anyone listening to this, well, you know, there are so many, so many sort of rich takeaways here. But I'll, you know, it's some three sort of high level things that sort of stood out to me. You know, number one, you know, the the future looks bright. You know, the the idea, the potential for future disruption is 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 there. Uh, I think that's number one. You know, number number two is that this crypto winter has this capacity for sorting out the stronger versus the weaker players. And um, I wrote down that quote actually from you, Emma. If you can survive the bear market, you're well positioned for the bull market. And you know, I think we're going to see obviously some of those stronger uh, uh, players coming through. And then you know, third, you know. So, you know, obviously you talk in, you both spoke so passionately in, in such excited and optimistic way about some of this innovation, whether it's related to uh, decentralized finance and, and smart contracts, or whether it's related to, you know, helping uh, consumers and, and remittances. And the, uh, it's really going to be about the innovation that comes out of this, uh, where we're going to see sort of the most, um, the most opportunity and the most growth. All right. Well, so thank you, Emma. Uh, thank you, Bio. Uh, so thank you, everybody for listening. The conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode and any other episode you have an opinion on. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to mintel.com and check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight uh, community. We'd love to have you. Uh, Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So goodbye for now. We'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.